Good afternoon, my friends. Welcome back, and the doctor is in the house. Actually, today I got three, three of us in the house, three doctors. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internist practicing in the western suburbs of Chicago, but you can call me Dr. G. Today, we are continuing our Cancer Sucks series because, as I said last week, cancer sucks. So we want to welcome back all our guests uh, and all the fans that are out there. Just thank you for supporting our show and our effort to improve health across the board. So today we're going to talk about uh, breast, breast cancer. But before we get into this, and just a very important topic for us all, I want to, I'm, going to, I'm going to kind of set the stage. Again, we, we decided to do this show and this whole Cancer Sucks series because cancer impacts all of us on a day-to-day -day basis. There's so many of us that have either had family members that have suffered from cancer, that have personally had cancer, or just having friends and loved ones with cancer. And we know, as we reviewed last week, for those of, those of you guys that are welcoming back, last week we talked about cancer is the number two killer in this country behind heart disease. So it's important for us to talk about cancer, and we want to have this conversation in an open and honest forum. Again, I want you guys out there to get your information from reliable sources. That's one of the reasons why I created this show. I want you guys out there to leverage me, leverage my networks of experts to talk about health and then take that information and talk with your physician. Why? At the end of the day, we want everybody to live healthy and inspiring and fruitful lives. So again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. You can check me out at www.drmarkgomez.com. Also check me out on my social media handles, at To Your Health Dr. G, that's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So again, welcome back everybody. Today, part two of the Cancer Sucks series, Breast Cancer. And so before I introduce my guests, and, and my guests today, they're just hashtag fierce. There's no doubt about that, but these are experts in their craft, and we're gonna have some honest discussion about breast cancer. So, let me give you a couple opening stats. Breast cancer itself. One in eight lifetime risk for breast cancer. It's the most common cancer among American women. Uh, technically, by the number of skin cancer, the most common cancer in this country, but the most common cancer among American women. The second leading cause of cancer death among women in the United States of America. And in, in 2018, it is estimated that among U.S. women, there will be 266,000 plus new cases of invasive breast cancer. And again, a woman in the U.S. has a one in eight lifetime risk of being diagnosed with breast, breast cancer, and the risk increases with age. So we're going to break this down a lot more. So now that we kind of set the tone of, of the urgency that we have for this very, very important diagnosis and this very, very important condition, we're now going to talk about this more. So what I, what I want to do is I want to introduce my guests. And again, I'm so happy to have, have my guests today. Uh, I've known them both for a long time through our work together with Edward Elmer's Healthcare. And so I was very excited when I was planning out this series. I had to think of both of these individuals to come out to the show because they're just experts in their craft. So you guys that are out there, I want you guys taking some notes and just listening to what they've got to say. So we're going to have some really good discussions. So first thing I want to do is I want to introduce my guest immediate to my right, who again is hashtag fierce. There's no doubt about that. So we have my good friend and colleague, Dr. Christine Gresick. She's a board-certified surgical breast oncologist with Edward Medical Group and Edward Elmer's Healthcare. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. Dr. Gressick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, you bet. Anytime. Again, when I was coming up with this topic of my breast cancer uh, show and my Cancer Suck series, I knew I had to have you on the show because of how 
how intimately involved you are on a day-to-day -day basis. So welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you do your med school? Where did you do your, your training? And then also comment a little bit about how this theme of breast cancer, you're interacting with it on a daily basis. Yeah, so thanks. I grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and I trained pretty local. I went to both medical school and residency at Loyola University. Loyola. Yeah. And then um, went on following a general surgery residency to do a fellowship specializing in breast surgical oncology at Northwestern. So I've been at Edward Elmhurst Healthcare for about six years now, and my entire practice is dedicated to only taking care of issues related to the breast. So... Um, most specifically, breast cancer, but also benign conditions and things that afflict women on a daily basis. So it is it is my entirety of what I do, and I am very passionate about, about taking care of these guys. Excellent. Thank you for coming out today. And my next guest, he and I, uh, I think we actually started at Edward Hospital at the same time. We went there maybe a year before, but uh, I started in 2007. When did you, when did you start again with uh, Edward? 2008. 2008, okay, so right after me. But, but he and I have been um, just good friends, and he's been my go-to radiologist for a lot of things. I always, a lot of times uh, I see his name. We may not see each other face-to-face -face a lot anymore, but I always see your name, and I know you see my name when <laughs> things come through because I'm ordering a lot of imaging, without a doubt. But I want to welcome my good friend and colleague, Dr. Darius Gilvitas, board-certified radiologist with Naperville Radiologist SC. Check him out, www.napervilleradiologist.com. He's also the medical director, women's imaging for Edward Hospital. Doc, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. G. Glad to be here. Hey, tell us a little bit about where you did some of your training, your background in medical school, and kind of how this theme of breast cancer is really how you're intimately involved with that theme, sure, all, literally sure. on a daily basis. Um, you know, unlike you two, I'm, I'm not a local guy. Uh, I'm a Michigander, <laughs> and uh, I did my training out there. Uh, I went to undergrad University of Michigan, followed uh, by Michigan State University, and I did my residency at St. Joe's Hospital, and it's there that uh, I really developed this interest, uh, a deep interest in one facet of radiology. Although I was trained in everything, CT, MR, ultrasound, x-rays, procedures, um, I really found uh, the greatest interest and passion uh, within breast imaging. Um, so after residency, just very similar to how Christine did a fellowship, I also did a fellowship uh, at Yale University uh, specializing in uh, breast imaging. And it's, it's there that you learn all a little more deeper, um, more focused training uh, in procedures and advanced imaging. Well, thank you again, Dr. Gilvitas, for coming on the show. And again, when I was thinking of the show, you know, the show's all about something with this theme today of breast cancer. It's really about um, uh, hope. We're also going to be talking about screening. And we're all going to be talking about, you know, treatment. We're going to be talking about survivorship. And when we're touched with cancer, you know, we always think about survivorship. And cancer doesn't necessarily have to be a death sentence. And so we want to talk to people out there and say, hey, listen, there are experts out there to help you out every step along the way. We're all about breaking down some barriers. We're going to talk about some of the barriers that are out there towards breast cancer screening. But at the end of the day, we just want everybody to be healthy, enjoy their families, enjoy their loved ones. And, uh, of course, I always just throw my plug in there. Go see your primary care doctor at least once a year. Got to throw it out there. All right. So those of you that are, that are new to the show, what I do is each week I invite... Uh, my esteemed colleagues, and we talk about a topic today, of course, breast cancer. Those that have, uh, those that are, uh, that have been found the show, welcome back, and again, we appreciate your support. So what we, how we start every show, besides introducing our, just our esteemed guests, I talk about a medicine, I talk about something called the chief complaint. And so as we're talking about a relationship to the show, uh, the chief complaint, for those that don't know it, it's when somebody comes into your office in the medical practice, and that's the reason why they're there. 
And in the, the relationships that show, the chief complaint is kind of like the question of the hour, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so the chief complaint, a.k.a. the question of the hour, is what are we doing, what are we doing to best minimize the burden of breast cancer in this country? So we're going to shape some of the conversation about that kind of thing. So I want to, without further ado, I'm going to ask my first question to Dr. Gressick, because why not? She's sitting right next to me, so therefore she gets the first question. But, uh, <laughs> but I wanted to start off, like, again, we're talking about breaking down some barriers. We're going to get into some of the treatment, the other kind of techniques that are out there. But, but let's just talk about screening in general. Um, why is breast cancer screening so important? Well, you know, a lot of things that we get diagnosed with, we you have to just deal with and treat. And in, in some ways, sometimes patients are stuck dealing with these illnesses for the rest of their life. But for breast cancer, you really have an opportunity to take something, make it go away, and help those patients live the rest of their life disease-free, potentially. And there are very few things in medicine that where we can actually say somebody's disease-free from something. So one of the advantages of screening certainly is that in some cases, we may find this before it's actually invasive cancer. Uh, and so when you talk about prevention, prevention you know, directly at its core starts with good mammographic screening. So we're very grateful for good radiologists who are able to pick up yes. on this. But it begins with a woman's conversation with her primary care physician and or you know, gynecologist and, and actually going in to get the test. So in terms of barriers, that's, that's probably one of the biggest barriers is, um, is going, to, going to be getting people to come in and actually finding these things before there's something that's too big for us to take care of. I agree that one, one of the more frustrating things that I find myself into the situation quite often and then they wind up seeing you or, or certainly getting their imaging maybe late in the process is I might have somebody who comes in for an annual physical and of course one of my tasks as a primary care physician is to make sure we do age-appropriate cancer screening so I may order the mammogram at that time maybe they're 40 years old 41 or whatever I order the mammogram or maybe I'll get that story they might be 50 a new patient never had a mammogram and I order the mammogram and then maybe a year goes by and I haven't seen the patient back and then I see him again for maybe an uh, a, uh, another acute issue, and I go, hey, by the way, I ordered that mammogram you know, eight, nine months ago. What happened? Like, you didn't get it done. I don't see your record be getting it done. And then we finally get it done, and then something bad is on that. So, well, Dr. Govitas, why don't you talk a little bit about, from your perspective, the importance of screening uh, from a radiology standpoint versus, you know, obviously catching things early, but, but I'm sure you're, seeing, you're hearing those kind of stories, too, where somebody may, uh, may delay their screening. Yeah, you know... It's a very true statement that cancer kills, um, but with appropriate screening and appropriate screening management, cancer is curable. And uh, breast cancer is especially one of those uh, cancers when detected at uh, a non-invasive stage. Patients don't just survive, they do remarkably well. It is a truly uh, curable disease, so it's very unfortunate uh, that people delay a screening test that uh, certainly is not a pleasant screening test uh, to go through, uh, but it's non-invasive, and it is the gold standard for detecting breast cancer. And uh, although we have all these wonderful advancements, mammography still remains the gold standard for the detection of breast cancer. And uh, it is a simple study to get done. Um, it's covered by insurance. And although there used to be more barriers in place, uh, at Edward uh, Elmhurst, we've done everything we possibly can to remove those barriers, including being able to get a mammogram without uh, an order, 
getting same-day appointments, same-day results, doing everything to help uh, the process along, make it easier to get the mammogram, and to alleviate anxiety, waiting for a result, waiting for an appointment. Because you cannot underestimate the effect of anxiety on a person's medical decisions. Oh, wow. Well, that's a great, that, and that's a some clear-cut example of, of having, trying to remove some of those barriers by making it much more of an open, and, uh, process and having some access, making the access issue non-issue, and I think I think hopefully as we go through, as we continue to try to move the needle, because we know that like if you if you God forbid someone has cancer, we all know that you want to get it as early as possible because that increases your chances for survival, and by putting by by allowing some of these kind of techniques to now take away some of these barriers, now we're talking about moving the numbers. But as a primary care doctor, for me, I feel I still feel like even though I try to order mammograms and talk about it, as you said, the gold standard. I still find it, I, I have this feeling that it's not as utilized as it should be. As, you know, I feel like we're underutilizing it, even though we have the, all these efforts out there. What's your thoughts on that one, Dr. Gresset? Yeah, so we've looked at it locally, and in DuPage County, we basically capture 30 to 40% of women who are appropriate for screenings. And we've, we've broken it down with areas and demographics and, and race and all mm -hmm. kinds of things to see where the access to care is. Um, for most patients in a local area, there's, there are complementary screening programs that are offered in many cases. So it's just a matter of a woman actually doing it and going in. Let's be honest, we're busy. Women are busy, matriarchs of the family working, wearing multiple hats. I'm guilty of it myself. We, we don't necessarily take an active interest in our health. And I think most importantly, we think, I'm fine, I'm young, let's worry about the rest of my family, not myself. I think that uh, in addition to that, there's a fear. There's a, there's a fear of, is this going to hurt? How is this going to feel? Um, the, the nerves and anxiety related to that. I think that there are some old wives' tales or stigmas, if you will, about uh, maybe the, the amount of radiation that somebody's exposed to, them worrying about that being, being too much for them to, to get a benefit out of it and so forth. But uh, in general, I think it's just that women need to do we need to do better at taking care of ourselves our family is no good if we are not alive and healthy and um that's it's just like just like going in for any other health check it's something that we should be responsible about doing yes and i really want to talk about stress like you know we want to create that sense of urgency again the stats tell us one in eight women lifetime risk and that's just a i mean you can, that's, that's just a that's real risk and there's no doubt about that. What about this? Let me ask Dr. Govitas this question. You know, going back to a little comment that Dr. Gressick said, sometimes people might say, well, I'm feeling fine. I don't need to get this done. Um, and I'm young. But I, I, know, I know we've seen cases of, of women younger than 40. Maybe 40 is our arbitrary age. That, I mean, the 40s are the typical age that we start a lot of screening. But, but, but if you miss something, I mean, if somebody didn't get screened or, or a physician didn't feel something, and, you know, that could be a whole disaster going on but you're still seeing I mean we still see cases of, of women having breast cancer younger than 40 so we gotta we gotta check our ego at the door with the age be like oh my gosh I shouldn't get I don't need anything well certainly um, age is a uh, very strong um, correlate to incidence of breast cancer clearly the older you are uh, the higher the incidence of breast cancer and the age of 40 is the age that has been established as a standard of care because uh, at that point, uh, screening becomes beneficial. Um, there's, there's less uh, complications associated with screening. 
than if you would screen a younger pool. What I'm talking about is false positives, uh, over-screening or, or over-biopsying uh, benign lesions. Um, but the other misconception that people get, it's not just age. The one that I hate hearing is that I don't have a family history. Well, that just means you're probably still at a high risk of getting breast cancer, 12% lifetime risk for one in eight, of course. Um, and the most, there are more breast cancers detected in patients who don't have a family history than there are in patients who have a family history. So although they come in thinking that is a protective factor, not having a family history, it's not true. We're, we're finding more cancers in patients who don't have a family history. Uh, so that th those misconceptions have to be addressed, and um, uh, the the average population needs to be aware of that, irregardless of your family history, irregardless of, of you feeling uh, any lumps, irregardless of, of uh, uh, cup size, irregardless of density, you still need to be uh, screened. Mm. I want to ask you a final question because there's some new new techniques that are out there for a mammogram. Certainly, the old way how we used to do it, and then a number of years ago, we see the orders of two-dimensional, three-dimensional uh, mammography, digital mammography. Can you comment a little bit more on, on how some of the, the views, the images are better obtained now even compared to 10 years ago? Yeah, sure, that's a great question. Uh, there was two major advancements in uh, screening mammography. The uh, leap from film screen to digital, so similar to how cameras were, uh, where we use film to develop uh, pictures, we then went to digital cameras. Well, the same advancement occurred with mammography. Uh, and that leap from film to digital really uh, saw benefit in uh, patients who had moderate or very dense breast tissue because it allowed uh, the radiologist to um, see the dense tissue uh, more clearly by uh, windowing the images. Also, we saw calcifications a little crisper and, and cleaner, and uh, things, for lack of a better term, they just popped out a little easier. And uh, it's, it's remarkable, um, maybe for a year when I started training in residency, we saw a film screen. And when I go back and I look at it, I just cannot believe that was what we, what we used before. Um, it, it, it's, it's amazing the, the advances in digital mammography, and um, by all means, if you ever go to a facility that still uses film screen, you know, don't run, don't walk out of it. Okay, I mean, I, you cannot run fast enough uh, um, out of that facility. And then having digital mammography allowed more computer processing, allowed uh, different advancements in imaging technique. And that other one that you're referencing is uh, what's commonly called three-dimensional mammography. It's uh, tomosynthesis. And with tomosynthesis, we're using very thin slices, very similar to a CT scan, where we take little thin uh, millimeter thick images so we can see um, uh, densities more clearly. And it helps uh, the radiologist see through and around dense tissue. And uh, it, it helps with the reduced callback rate uh, because uh, superimposed tissue can easily be determined with a 3D mammography and we're finding a much more subtle speculations uh, that can be radial scars or early invasive tumors that we would not be finding for, you know, two, three years down the road, certainly before they could ever be felt clinically. I want to ask you so one more follow-up question because this is great because we're talking about the, 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 the granular level of some of this imaging. Um, if, if we have patients that are out there and they have the option uh, to maybe do just kind of a standard um, mammogram, digital mammogram or this 3D option, 2D plus 3D, 
are we recommending that that we should go all you know go all in get the best imaging possible or, or do we see any kind of difference at all absolutely okay. there's no there is no question about it uh, at, at Edward Hospital we've gone all in oh, we're, we're 100% uh, 3D uh, when it's available uh, it's, it's automatically done uh, the patient is told obviously they're getting this 3D tomosynthesis done uh, but it is just standard protocol excellent and uh, I would say the vast majority greater than 90 95 percent of the patients take us up on that they understand the benefits of it uh, we talked a little bit about radiation um, some patients are, are worried about the perceived effects of increased radiation when in reality the dose of uh, a standard mammogram, including uh, the 3D tomosynthesis component, is well below FDA guidelines for exposure to radiation. So again, we're talking about breaking down these barriers, and again, we want to know to tell people that these there are resources out there for us to take advantage of as we try to conquer and ultimately try to defeat this serious condition. So, so I love hearing these kind of stories that that there are resources out there for people, not just kind of getting people in the door. Um, Dr. Gressick, how do you kind of encourage, I mean, obviously when people kind of see you in your practice as a, as, a, as, a, as a surgical oncologist, as a breast surgical oncologist, certainly they've gone through a lot of the imaging and hence something abnormal was found, uh, whether it's, you know, whether it's potentially benign or cancerous. How do you kind of approach that, 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 that patient that comes in? Because there's, there's certainly a lot of anxiety. They might get the call back from either me as a primary care doctor or Dr. Govitas with the results of the mammogram, and then we move them over to you. How do you just kind of, how do you kind of, welcome somebody in and put them at ease because of a, of a possible concerning lesion. Yeah, it's scary to ever walk in my door. I, I don't take it personally. Patients, patients don't want to be there. But uh, the good news is, for most cases, we just start from scratch. You know, the patients in a lot of cases have gone through imaging, maybe biopsy, maybe sort of know what's going on, maybe have, have limited information. And we basically start from scratch and I take as much time as I need with them, and, and we pull up every film they've had done, and we look at it together. And I'm not a radiologist, but looking at a lot of films, <laughs> I, I, you know, some things are, are very important for patients to see. What, what, what's the exact extent of what's involved? What, I, can't, I don't have to panic about this. This is early. Or we sit down and we look at the, the sort of pathology spectrum of things and sort of say, look, you can congratulate yourself for us finding this because you went in for your mammogram. And, and the captivating audience is always the, the family members that are in the room with them. And I, I always say, this is your opportunity to spread the word to friends, family, etc. that uh, you have yourself to thank in most cases for us being able to find that because you did the first step in going in to get your, your pictures done. So I uh, can't emphasize that enough again as a topic. But, you know, I think just having the patients partner with us from the get-go, um, doing a little one-on-one basic science on what's happening that allows them to not just be a passive consumer of what we're telling them to do, but rather be integrated and, and engaged and, and really understand why it's going to be so important for forever that they don't fall back off those cracks. They, they stay, you know, compliant with what we're recommending for them, and they do a great job. Our patients are great. Excellent. Can you talk about a little bit about the role, Dr. Gretzky, too? Kind of like, again, again, we all know each other because we yeah. uh, uh, know each other, we work together, uh, we, we know each other on a, on a social level as well, too, as well as, as well as on a professional level. Can you talk a little bit more? A lot of times we, we, we talk a lot about what we see in primary care, and then and then they go see a specialist. But talk about some of the relationship between, like, a radiologist and then a surgical oncologist, because that's a very important uh, relationship as well, too, when we're talking about this topic. Yeah, it's great. I actually get to work with from pediatricians to the geriatricians, mm -hmm. primary care, radiologists, medical oncologists. And so... 
we are a team sport, mm -hmm. and um, I think the team sport goes from me going to a lot of department meetings, talking to people about recommendations, guidelines, etc. But um, specifically in the cancer world, we meet once a week um, for with our whole team, and that includes radiology, pathology, surgical oncology, um, our radiation team, the medical oncology team genetic counselors, social workers, the whole team. And so Darius and I talk together all the time. Um, there's not one patient I see that uh, I don't either pursue, you know, looking at films with the radiologist and or make sure I feel very comfortable understanding exactly what's what's going on with the pictures before I see those patients. So he probably hears from me more, more than he'd like to, but... Um, the, the patient's experience with breast cancer starts with them going in for a screening mammogram. And so I can't say enough about how important it is to have a radiologist who's well-trained and understands what's going on um, so that we can detect these things early. And um, a lot of what we do with minimally invasive surgery now, which is, which is so novel and great here in 2018 that we can do that, is depending upon them being able to isolate that needle in the haystack for me. Uh, for me to be able to go in and execute a successful surgery is entirely dependent upon a partnership with a radiologist. So um, it's a good thing I like him because, you know, <laughs> we have some issues otherwise. But, uh, you know, the truth is um, part, part of the um, multidisciplinary nature for the patients is that they know him. So they know that he and I have talked, and then they, that eases the comfort level, and they know that everybody has, you know, considered all the options together. And um, there is sort of a beautiful art to, to taking care of a cancer patient, and it is not a one-man pony show ever. It's definitely an integrative approach, which is huge. And I want to ask Dr. Govitas to comment on it, on it a little bit, because a lot of things when we think about radiology, we just think, okay, well, the radiologist is sitting in the room reading the films, but, but it's so much more involved than that. I mean, you're very intimately involved with these kind of patients. You know, Dr. G, you just, you teed that one up because um, I, I want to further this discussion a little bit more. Uh, you want, things have changed so much since I started 10 years ago. It really was a, um, uh, a set it and forget it type of, uh, of area of, of radiology where we, so, we would see the images but not so much involve the patients. Um, we would make a diagnosis but not so much communicate with the referring physician or the treating physician, the surgeon. Uh, now it's a totally different ballgame. Yes. Um, we, as radiologists, we weren't the most clinical, we weren't, a, we're not a clinical uh, subspecialty, except for interventional radiology and breast imaging. And we are extremely clinical now. And to work, to be part of this amazing team has made my job satisfaction so much more great. And the patient's outcomes are clearly improved because of it. Uh, and it goes from working with great surgeons such as Dr. Gressick. We have world-class pathologists who, oh, yes. um, 10 years ago, I never spoke to the pathologist before. But now on 50% of the cases, I, I rely on them. And in fact, it's gotten to the point where Diagnoses are, um, the accuracy is improved and the patient outcome is better because of the interaction that we have with the pathologist and the general surgeon, uh, the breast surgeon. It's, uh, it has significantly improved patient's care uh, because we, we communicate as part of a team. And uh, it's not just the weekly conferences, it's, it's multi-daily text messages from the pathologist uh, uh, or the surgeon discussing uh, diagnoses or treatments or what's next uh, or what needs to be done, what I see, what they think, 
and uh, the patients are really the benefit Thank of, you of very that collaboration. Much. I like to tell my patients that you know the people that I'm going to get to get, get to you with get you connected with these are just people at the top of these are physicians at the top of their game but it is so much of an integrated team and, and I try to get that from my end on the front end and say hey we're going to be okay we're going to take you through this step by step we're not going to treat you like a number you are a person we're going to get you through this process and we're going to be intimately involved and I think that's one of the things that uh, that can be certainly quite scary when somebody gets diagnosed with breast cancer but we're going to take you through the way and so again we want to close down these barriers that are out there just make people know that that people, there's still good people in the world, by the way. There are. <laughs> but there are. There's still people that are out there that are here to care for you. And as medical professionals, again, when we took an oath to, 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 to do our best and to do your due diligence for our patients that we serve. So I want to change topics a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about some of the new tech out there. And so, um, um, so there's, you know, here we are, 2018, and, and, and techniques are better, diagnoses are better. We talked a little bit about, about the 3D uh, tool synthesis and going on. And so I want to ask Dr. Govitas this question. Uh, why don't we first comment on a little bit about breast MRI, um, and then we can talk maybe about some of the molecular stuff. Why don't you give us a little idea of what, just what, just what is MRI in general? Let's sure, take it back sure, to sure. a basic level, and then we can talk about it at the breast level. You know, uh, for, first of all, I just want to say I love technology. Uh, I was, I'm an engineer, so I, I love that uh, techie aspect of radiology, and it's a lot of great um, uh, new technology that we get to uh, use to help patients out. Um, we, we've already touched on digital mammography and tomosynthesis, and uh, I, I will never stop saying that the gold standard is screening mammography. And that detects more breast cancer and at an earlier stage than any other modality can. But it's one tool that we have in our utility belt. And there are several other tools that we can continue to add to that utility belt. And one is not better than the other. And one is not applicable to all patients. But uh, in a certain situation, we can add other technologies such as ultrasound. MRI that you're talking about. MRI is uh, a different way of detecting breast cancer by using um, the vascularity of the tumor. Uh, to take up a, 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 an intravenous contrast that's administered prior to the study, whereas uh, screening mammography uses x-rays and ultrasound obviously uses sound waves uh, for detection. And uh, MRI is a very, very strong tool in uh, patients who are extremely high risk, um, are uh, BRCA1 or BRCA2 positive, have a strong thymus history, extremely dense breast, an equivocal mammogram, um, or a personal history of breast cancer. Uh, other other, um, imp other uh, reasons you would get an MRI is a personal history of radiation treatment um, uh, as, a, as a teenager um, or other genetic uh, susceptibility. But it's does, it does not the appropriate tool in everyone. And I certainly don't want anyone listening to this to come away thinking that I need an MRI because there's a lot of downsides to an MRI also. There's a lot of false positives. So we don't uh, want everything lighting up in the breast and biopsy things unnecessarily. And also the, to interpret an MRI is, is a little more challenging and takes more time. You really have to go through all uh, the patient's history and make sure we're not needlessly biopsying something. So in the appropriate patient, it's fantastic, okay? Um, but uh, it's not for everybody. 
You know, it's it's kind of like uh, a patient you would see. If not everyone needs a cast if they have an arm injury. Sometimes a splint will do, and the splint's actually appropriate, um, or buddy taping something together if there's an injury. You know, uh, it, there's not one go-to uh, for breast imaging other than screening mammography. So that's the only true go-to for everyone. Uh, you talked a little bit about something else that's starting, and that's molecular breast imaging. That's just another tool in our utility belt to help detect breast cancer. I mentioned that MRI is for patients who are at high risk. Molecular breast imaging is um, really advantageous in all breast densities, uh, but with patients who um, are of normal risk, perhaps no family history, uh, or less than 20% lifetime risk. Um, it, it's just another great tool. Again, it does not replace screening mammography. It's just something else uh, that we're going to be offering at Edward Hospital. As, as a matter of fact, we're the first site in the state of Illinois uh, to get this new technology. And uh, people who are using it on a regular basis uh, to the north would include the Mayo Clinic and South MD Anderson, both major, major powerhouses in uh, breast cancer detection. So we're very excited to be the first in not only the Chicagoland area, but the state of Illinois to have this, this wonderful new technology. Excellent. You know, this is all about us, again, trying to take advantage of a lot of things. We're trying to all solve this problem, to defeat this problem as best we can. Again, the risk of breast cancer is so high, and cancer in general is just so high. Again, the number two killer in this country. So this is great that we have, we're having this kind of discussion that there are tools out there and that will hopefully allow us to better detect and screen earlier, and then hopefully make a diagnosis and treatment. Dr. Gressen, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, the typical, for, the, for, for people that are out there, what are some of the kind of typical symptoms somebody might have if, if they may have breast cancer? So if somebody has breast cancer and um, is, is having a detectable change, more than likely um, we're going to hear things like an asymmetry, their bra might be fitting differently, they may, may feel one side is tighter than the other, they may feel a palpable mass, um, they may notice that there's a stain on the inside of their bra where they've had a little bit of discharge from a nipple, um, a lot of patients may notice that they're, they're sort of self-looking face on in the mirror, that they'll have a little deviation of a nipple to one side or the other. Uh, and I can't emphasize how important it is to just look at yourself in the mirror as part of your self-breast exam. Um, and patients may have subtle skin changes, discoloration. They may, may feel a fullness underneath their armpit. Um, Really, anything is in all comers are things to bring to the attention of, of either your primary care physician, gynecologist, doctor, etc. And um, we don't, you know, we don't cry wolf. We don't, we don't, we don't no, believe we in don't, the wolf theory. No, we, we listen to everything, yeah. and we, we want patients to speak up. Um, of course, a lot of women will have menstrual cycle-related changes that will happen with the breast. I always tell women, you know your breast better than anybody else. Uh, so if you can sort of correlate that with something that might be happening uh, with along the, the length of your menstrual cycle, it is okay to perhaps see if those changes may go away in a day or two. But if something persists beyond 48 hours and you're not sure, pick up the phone and call. Yes, please do. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. Again, we don't cry wolf. And again, we take, we take health seriously. And if something's lingering in somebody... I implore people to go get checked out. Um, call my office. Call Dr. Crest's office. Call Dr. Gilvitas. You know, hey, call yeah. call anybody. But but it's so important to not neglect your body. And mention as you, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of times we're so busy doing so many things, we forget to take time to stop and and take care of ourselves. 
and that can be certainly a challenge. You know, it's interesting, I think about some of the things that we talk about just in, just in general, cancer prevention, and, and, and I can't underscore the, the importance of number one, making sure you have a good relationship with your physician. You know, get a good primary care physician, get a good uh, OBGYN physician, if that's gonna serve as your primary care physician, but, but have a relationship with the doctor, because that doctor is gonna rescue you when something happens, if something comes up, that individual will know what to do, will know who to get people to. And again, I think that's why I value our relationship so much that it's like if I get into an issue, I know I can pick up the phone and call you, Dr. Gresick, or you, Dr. Govitas, and say, hey, you know, there's something going on here, and I need you guys to help me out with this. And you guys absolutely answer the phone right away. You, you respond, you get people in, and you know, we're, we're, we, we want to do this kind of stuff. So we're here to help. Can't under, I can't under, understate that um, uh, that much anymore. So what I want to do is I want to ask a couple other questions here, uh, and then we're going to get kind of into our myths versus facts session, what I like a lot about this kind of cancer suck series. Because again, we're here today to break down some barriers as we're talking about this very important cancer. Let's talk a little bit about breast cancer in men. Dr. Gresson, what, what, what are the stats about that? Can guys yeah. get breast cancer? Absolutely. 1% of all cancers of the breast that are diagnosed annually are in men which seems like small numbers, but we talked about how common yes. this is, yeah. so it happens. And um, stage for stage, male breast cancer is treated almost identical to female breast cancer, and the problem is without screening, a lot of times when we are finding it, it's, it's at a more advanced stage because we haven't been paying attention to things. Um, most men aren't getting a breast exam as part of their primary care physician physical. Most men aren't necessarily looking for any changes or things, and so um, I take care of several gentlemen a year, um, we, we definitely do look towards male breast cancer as one of these radars for some of these genetically linked types of breast cancer. Darius already mentioned, you know, 80 to 85 percent of women diagnosed with breast cancer have no family history of breast cancer. So, so the minority of patients with breast cancer actually have a family history, but a male family relative that had breast cancer certainly will sort of trigger our you were in that rare one percent, um, and and make us make us be more aware of things. So males absolutely um, should should bring up uh, lumps, bumps, nipple discharge, um, nipple retraction. Those are the main things that I see in men. Unfortunately, a lot of men do not present until they are feeling something in their axilla. So the axilla being fancy word for armpit. Um, a lot of the gentlemen I'll take care of will, will have noticed it from physical activity that they'll have sort of seen something and they may not have noticed anything on the anterior wall of their chest. Wow. I mean, it's an important thing, but you're right. Uh, you know, 1% of breast cancer is men, uh, and, and maybe it's just guys, you know, and, and again, guys just are guys, and, and, and we don't think, uh, as guys, we don't think about this kind of stuff, but the risk is still out there. I mean, it's a smaller risk, but again, the risk is still out there. It goes back again. We want people to know their bodies, understand their bodies. Go see your doctor. If something, if something still lingers after a few days, call. You know, again, we don't worry about crying wolf. Maybe it's nothing, but what if it is something? It's something that could have been done about it. Um, Dr. Gavitas, uh, can you talk about, uh, you know, this is something that I kind of get asked me quite a bit, where I might have somebody who may, may decline. They might say, oh, you know, I don't want to get a mammogram, but I'll do a breast ultrasound. What's kind of your response uh, when you hear that kind of thing? And is that even good, just straight up breast well, ultrasound? Um, you know, a few things about that. Education's important. And I can understand and I can appreciate why a patient would think uh, or perceive um, that ultrasound is as good as mammography. 
or patients who have implants might uh, refuse a mammogram because they're afraid of uh, rupture. They've heard someone else had an implant ruptured from, from a mammogram. But uh, that, those times, I, I sit down and I talk to them, and I say, ultimately, every decision is yours. We can't force you to have a mammogram, but you will hear why that's important. And at the end of that, you can make your own decision on what you want to do. Ultrasound is a very strong tool. We talked about tools in the utility belt. It's one of them. It's very strong in determining solid versus cystic. Cystic generally meaning a benign lesion versus a solid tumor, which needs to be biopsied. But it is terrible at detecting early breast cancer, such as DCIS. DCIS most often presents as small microcalcifications. They look like little grains of sand on a mammogram. It takes quite a large burden of DCIS to even possibly detect it on an ultrasound, whereas a few microcalcifications, which will never kill that patient, is easily or more easily detected mammographically. Those are my favorite cancers to find, are the ones on the mammogram with a few grains of sand, because I can confidently tell that patient, you're going to do great, something else is going to take you from this earth, and I've got a great surgeon that's going to take care of you. You're going to, you're going to love her. She's got, she's got great hands and a great mind. That's what I always say, and you're going to do great. And uh, that's, those are the best cancers to find. You know? And so there's, there's no substitution for a screening mammogram. An ultrasound is an excellent add-on tool, but it's not a replacement. Thank you for clarifying that. That's super important. I want to get into a, a section that we like to call uh, myths versus facts. And so I've done this for a number of times on this show and just trying to break down again. We're talking about breaking down barriers and creating access and opportunity. And, and hopefully as we're talking about cancer sucks, diagnosing it earlier and certainly treating earlier. So here's my section, myths versus facts regarding breast cancer. So I'm going to ask our panel to comment myth versus fact, maybe give a few, a few reasons behind myth or fact. Uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. So here we, we go. No buzzer or anything? Uh, no buzzer this time. Yeah. I'm putting you guys on the spot because that's why I know you guys so well that you guys can nail this and hit, the, hit a home run out of the park. Here we go. Here's a statement. This one's for Dr. Gressick. All right, here we go. Myth versus fact. Most breast cancers run in families. Myth. And we kind of just answered that. We kind of answered that question. Can yes. you comment a little bit more? Myth, just, myth, to, myth. just to re, just to hit the point home on this one. The number one risk factor for developing breast cancer is being born a woman, and family history is a very small percentage of those breast cancers that we see. So, all women need to get screened, not just women with a family history. Excellent. All right. Next question. Um, here, this is a good one for Dr. Gobitis. All right. Here we go. Talking about mammograms, here's a statement. A mammogram can cause breast cancer to spread. It is absolutely false. It is a myth. And please please expand a little bit more on that. On that on yeah, I mean, there's, 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 that, uh, there's no science behind that statement whatsoever. Uh, all it does is detect breast cancer. Uh, by getting a mammogram, it's not like uh, you're spreading it to the adjacent cells or even as ludicrous as this can sound to the other contralateral breasts, that just does not happen, and that's just, that's just whoever says that to you, run away from them as fast as you're running away from that person who is still screen film, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the next one. All right, this one's for Dr. Gressick. All right, breast cancer is contagious. Myth. 
All right, please explain a little bit more. <laughs> so breast cancer is unique to you. Uh, it needs its own blood supply. It needs its own fuel sources, etc. And so it cannot be transplanted or or uh, spread by any bodily fluids or contact, mm-hmm. human contact, etc. It also cannot be spread by a biopsy. So yeah, that, yeah. not only do mammograms not cause cancer to That's spread, true. but um, taking a needle and sampling it does not pull those tumor cells throughout the breast or spread them to the rest of the body. So I get asked that every day. Yeah. If the needle biopsy has now caused the cancer to spread, and that is a myth, that Thank is you. a tool for diagnosis. Thank you very much. Next question, Dr. Goodlevis. Here we go. Find, here's a statement. Finding a, finding a lump in your breast means you have breast cancer. That's a myth. Uh, although it may mean you have breast cancer, more often than not, it's a benign lesion, depending on your age. Under 40 years old, it's more likely to be a cyst or a benign solid tumor, such as a fibroadenoma. Uh, so finding a lump does not mean you have breast cancer. Right. But it should be checked out. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yes. Thank you very much for clarifying it. All right, here's the next one. Here you go, for Dr. Gresson. Bras cause breast cancer. Myth. Please explain a little bit more. By the way, these are all myths. If you guys are out there listening to us, this is all myths. So this this is a very old wives' tale that I hear daily basis also. Uh, Not specifically bras, but I hear underwire bras are supposed to be caused. And and the thought is that if there's something bad in the breast, that this this underwire may cause these cells to smolder or or be spreading within this area and not allowing it to, to sort of, you know, breathe the normal way. It is not, not any, any truth to this. All right. Thank you. Next one. I love this. I love myths versus facts. Because, again, again we're, we're talking about giving, as I said at the beginning of the show, I want people to get their knowledge from reliable sources. You know, you type in something in Dr. Google, and it says you're dying. I mean, literally, it's like I cut my finger, and I type in finger cut on Dr. Google, it says you're dying. So, again, we want people to get information from reliable sources. That's another reason why I created this show, to leverage my network to help break down barriers. So here we go. And these are, th- these are questions that I, that I get asked. These are questions that, that actually are asked to me on this whole Miss versus, versus Facts. And then, again, I want to ask this to my colleagues. But I hear these questions on a day-to-day basis for these statements. All right. Next one for Dr. Govitas. Here we go. There is absolutely nothing one person can do to lower their risk of developing breast cancer. Absolutely nothing somebody can do to lower risk. Well, that's, that's not a true statement either. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, patients often ask, uh, what did I do when I tell them their diagnosis? What did I do uh, to get this breast cancer? And of course, the answer there is you didn't do anything specifically. But uh, anything that makes common sense for good health is good breast health also. Thank you for saying that. And uh, there's no magic bullet. There's no number one cause uh, that if you do this, it's not like smoking and lung cancer. There's no direct, direct, strong correlate like that. But anything that you can do for healthy lifestyle, doing things in moderation, doing things that are that are good for your body, help lower the risk of breast cancer. Thank you. Thank you for making that statement. Again, the behaviors that we do on a day-to-day basis have an impact on us. And so having those consistent behaviors you know, staying active, having a healthy diet, getting seen by your doctor on an annual basis for at least a physical exam. Um, these are good things. And again, don't smoke cigarettes. 
drink alcohol in moderation if you choose to do that. But but just basic common sense examples. So thank you for clarifying that and, and giving us a good statement. All right, this is going to be the last myth versus fact for Dr. Gressick. Why not? All right, again, this is something I hear, so this one I'm mentioning this. All right, here we go. Drinking milk or dairy causes breast cancer. Myth. All right, please explain a little bit more. So... Specifically, when we talk about dairy, there has never been a direct correlation between uh, dairy and breast cancer. There have, however, been many studies looking at soy, soy protein, soy milk, soy, etc., um, and its correlation with breast cancer. I, even those studies have been unfounded in terms of a direct correlation, um, but there is some interesting science as to the, the voodoo of that. It is, it is a myth. Anything in moderation is safe. All right. Thank you very much. And then I want to ask you a few other questions before we start to wrap things down. We've got to look for another question before another question to do before we wrap things down. Uh, knowing that breast cancer is the most common cancer among American women, women, what is the role of, of public health? You know, we think about efforts that are out there, initiatives. There are a lot of foundations that are out there, social media groups. You know, what's the role of us as as healthcare providers within a bigger system of public health in order to try to help defeat diagnose and defeat breast cancer? What is the role, like whether whether it's like at the role at the local level or the state level? What what should we be doing? What's what's public health role, Dr. Govitas? You know, I, I think consistency, just a consistent answer to people's questions. Uh, eight nine years ago, there was a lot of controversy regarding breast imaging and this breast imaging task force that came out with uh, confusing recommendations. Was that when they raised? They said they said yeah, start at age fifty, start at something age like 50 that. Yeah, I remember and that go now. every other year, yeah. and that just gave people who already don't want to come in for a screening mammogram an excuse to not come in. And it is so disappointing when you see a patient who skipped a year come in and they have a more advanced tumor than they normally would if they didn't skip something, skip a year. And just a consistent message from primary care providers, um, from the, the government in general, that just like we all know, smoking is bad, right? Any reputable source is going to tell you it's not a good idea to do that. Um, we need consistency in that at 40 years old, you get a screening mammogram. And you do it till, till death. There's no end point. We don't have an end point. We just continue to do so. That consistent message so people can't hum and haw and come up with an excuse or create their own barrier to come in. Dr. Gressick, you want to give a commentary about, again, what's the role of public health in this whole thing, where we fit as physicians, where we fit as, as just people, human beings? What's our role for each other for breast cancer? I definitely believe that the government, state legislation has a huge role in this. The American Cancer Society has a Cancer Act, uh, Action Network, C-A-N they call it, um, and basically it is uh, looking at these breakdowns by counties, individual, looking at screening rates and sort of saying, is this an access to care issue? Is this a financial issue? Is this a, what are the barriers there? Is it an education issue? Um, and not only having the state legislation, but, but perhaps nationally, um, things set in place so that every person has an access to get early screening if they choose to do so. Excellent. Well, we got about five minutes left, so what I want to do is kind of, we're going to bring this home, and again, 
Uh, I, I cannot thank my guests enough for just giving their insights and their wisdom on this very important topic. So at the beginning of the show, I talked about what's called the chief complaint. Again, why somebody's here, and again, our question of the hour, what are we doing to help minimize the burden of breast cancer in this country? So kind of what's called the assessment and plan when we see people in office in a clinical situation, we kind of wrap it up and say, all right, this is your diagnosis, this, this is the plan of attack. So I'm going to kind of ask the first question to Dr. Govitas uh, as, as we wrap this up. What are some take-home points uh, as far as what people out there should know about breast cancer? Um, and if you feel free to comment on how you want to answer that one, whether it's prevention or more education. What are a couple take-home points that you want to give to people? Well, screening saves lives, and uh, screening is really the only uh, way to beat breast cancer. And uh, although self-exam and detection clearly does find some um, breast cancers, it's still screening that finds the vast majority of uh, early breast cancers when they're survivable. So don't be afraid of something uh, it's stopping you from coming in because um, battling that fear is what's going to help you win cancer. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. Gretzik, any take-home points about what we're talking about today on breast cancer awareness? You know, I think one thing uh, to take home is that none of us are resilient to something like this. Uh, one of the things I love to hear from some of my patients and, and families are that they, they make it they make it fun. I, my mom and her two sisters would go in every year together to go with their mammograms on the same day and, and make it a lunch date and everything. I, I have a lot of uh, neighborhood friends who now do the same thing and, and make it a tradition. Uh, treat yourself to a birthday present mammogram. I mean, it's it's the truth is it is self awareness. There are a thousand excuses we can make for not doing something, but. It's really self-responsibility and self-awareness, their own body awareness, et cetera, that are, are going to be the keys and, and good outcomes here. Thank you. And my kind of take-home points are this. You know, if you're concerned about breast cancer, I want you to talk with your doctor or your breast physician. Uh, if you have a strong family history of breast cancer, we didn't talk about it much, but, but don't be afraid to talk with your uh, genetic counselor, certified genetic counselor, to discuss further risks. And I think at the end of the point, I want everybody to have this conversation, talk about breast cancer on a daily basis. I want this to be a conversation that we're all comfortable to have, uh, a conversation that we're mature enough to have because it's real. So again, don't be afraid to ask about this topic. Take charge of your health, see your doctor, perform exams, and most importantly, get a mammogram. Uh, so please schedule that. So without further ado, again, I want to thank my guests. We got Dr. Christine Gresick and Dr. Darius Govitas. Again, uh, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on the show. I hope everybody out there has learned a great deal. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez, Dr. G. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Stay tuned for next week. We're going to be breaking down Cancer Sucks Part 3, Lung Cancer. Take care, guys, and peace out.